Hello and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Dr. Brad Glick, and I'm a board-certified dermatologist and clinical assistant professor of dermatology at the FIU Herbert Wertheim College of Medicine in Miami. I will be your host today. Our topic today is office design efficiencies. Designing a medical office space that is efficient and patient-centered is important to the success of any practice, particularly a dermatology practice, to deliver optimum patient care and reduce administrative burden for staff. Patient flow contributes to the overall patient care experience, and there are several opportunities to optimize patient flow and experience. Today's discussion will include a review of important factors to be considered when designing and or redesigning an office. Joining me today is Dr. Jim Zella, a board certified dermatologist from Florence, Kentucky with over 50 years of clinical experience in the practice of dermatology. Dr. Zella received his MD degree from the University of Louisville School of Medicine and his dermatology and dermatopathology training at the Mayo Graduate School of Medicine. He's a past member of the Board of Directors of the American Academy of Dermatology and a candidate for AAD president-elect in 2008. He's represented the Academy in meetings with national and medical directors of major private health insurance plans to deal with reimbursement issues on behalf of dermatologists. He's past chair of the AADA Healthcare Finance Committee and has represented Kentucky dermatologists on the Medicare Carrier Advisory Committee since its inception. Dr. Zala has represented dermatology as a member of the AMA CPT editorial panel and the AMA Correct Coding Policy Committee. He's also currently the chair of the Practice Operations Committee. And Jim, before we move on and welcome, it's so nice to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the committee that you chair for the Academy as we segue in to talking about office optimization. Welcome. Yes, thanks, Brad. It's a pleasure to be with you and to talk about uh, office optimization. This was a new tool and outgrowth of the uh, Practice Operations Committee And the mission statement of that committee is to translate the evolving healthcare environment into practical, useful tools and resources for members to optimize their practice efficiency, effectiveness, and value. And uh, with the help of the academy staff, particularly uh, uh, Faisal Weisif, who is staff for our practice operations committee, and, and all the academy staff, in the practice management department who support not only this, but many other resources for academy members. It's possible to access the content of this dialogues or the office optimization content at aad.org backslash office. An efficient dermatology office increases productivity, reduces waste of time and resources, increases staff satisfaction, and improves the patient experience. There are opportunities for office design efficiencies and optimal patient flow and experience in each area of a dermatology office. There are many ideas worth sharing in hopes that some will be helpful to AAD members as we consider a virtual 
walkthrough of a dermatology office. Beginning with the entry, it's really our first opportunity to show concern for patients. And in our office, we have a portico because in inclement weather in Kentucky, sometimes rain and snow, it's nice to have patients drive under and be dropped off or picked up outside of the weather. We use an automated push button entry door for our outside door and also on the inside of the vestibule that leads to our waiting room for disabled patients. The vestibule between the entry and the waiting room has seating for patients who may be waiting to be picked up. And it also has recessed walk-off mats so that as you approach the waiting room, it helps to keep the carpet cleaner. We also keep umbrellas and wheelchairs in that vestibule for patient use. Our waiting room is the place where often patients spend more time than they do in our exam or procedure room. So that has to be an inviting, comfortable, pleasant space. We like to use soft lighting, carpeting in our office, in the waiting room, as well as the halls throughout the rest of the office. And we did use roll carpeting, but uh, in our last uh, renovation, switched to two by two carpet squares, which we think is superior. I think those are pretty durable too. They, they are bred and uh, we've only had one occasion where there was a spot and it was easy to change out one carpet square. So it still looks good after three years. In the waiting room, we need seating that's comfortable for all age groups. Most practices treat children on through the elderly and we need to reach their needs. Upholstery ought to be resistant to stains, easily sanitized. We found leather holds up better than fabric seating. It's worth the extra cost. Our leather waiting room furniture, chairs, seats, and backs are 15 years old and still look very good. We have soft background music and free Wi-Fi access for patients in the waiting room and some charging stations for those who may need it. We have TV monitors for educational videos and for marketing the practice. We've added wall art to add to a restful atmosphere. And I also have a, a framed quotation of William J. Mayo that says, the best interest of the patient is the only interest to be considered. And that sets the tone for our practice philosophy. We also have a waterfall at one end of our waiting room, which is kind of quiet and relaxing, and a small space added for preschool kids called our Kids Cave. Tim, let me ask you a question. It sounds like you have to have a pretty large waiting area. Do you have a separate waiting area for other components of your practice, for instance, micrographic surgery? We do, a great question. My son Mark is our Mohs surgeon, and in that space adjacent to the Mohs surgery suite, we have another room that's about 12 by 12, kind of a sub-waiting room for those patients who've had their initial layer taken and are waiting with a temporary dressing. And there we have also leather furniture and two Ekernes recliners and a TV and beverage and snack supplies. 
we're going to talk about getting into the exam room and obviously in a few minutes you know the waiting room is so crucial even before and even after they meet the front desk which we'll talk about in a couple of moments but i think one of the biggest complaints of patients sometimes even when they're whisked from the waiting room to the exam room is that they really don't want to be in that exam room very long. So having an environment that you have just described in a waiting room, I think really sets up the most optimum waiting room. What about the front desk area? Well, that's another critical part in the uh, practice. It's our first live interaction with the patients. Uh, opportunity for staff to uh, make a good first impression it should be clean and organized and uncluttered. And we want our staff to greet patients with a friendly smile, with a positive, caring attitude. We, uh, when we built 15 years ago, put a glass barrier between the waiting room and the receptionists, except for two cutouts for the two receptionists. And that makes an open space, but also adds privacy and, and dampens conversation. We did put our logo and practice name uh, etched into the glass right in the mid between those two receptionist uh, openings. Our staff have dual computer monitors, which they feel is easier than a single monitor. And we have wireless telephone headsets for the receptionists, which frees both hands for their, their use. We want them to have easy access to printers and copiers, shredders, supplies, and of course, scanners for the patient ID cards and insurance cards. We have a patient portal to facilitate pre-registration and we encourage patients to do that. But for patients who maybe have not done that, uh, you can have tablets or kiosks for them to register on-site in the waiting room if they have not been pre-registered. Let me ask you a question. Your front office staff, do you have them dedicated to specific tasks? Are there just individuals that are just answering the phone uh, or do they multitask? Are there specific check-in people? Because I think it becomes very challenging, even in my clinic, when you have front office staff that are sometimes having to multitask, check-in people and answer phones. What is your, your view? We what have tried to address that in our busiest times. We have behind the original or like front waiting room where patients in the waiting room can see the receptionists. We have another sub work area behind those receptionists with three walls, not floor to ceiling, but enough to block the sight and block the sound. And we have two phones with staff there who in our busiest call times, they can take those calls and free up our receptionists from those distractions. As far as the multitasking, we have some staff who are new would be check-in only for a while, but when they become proficient, we rotate them to check out and try to divide the, uh, the, the work there uh, so that nobody gets burned out in just only doing the same thing all the time. The front desk is really one of the toughest jobs in the office, greeting patients, answering phones, and it's so crucial. Now, the waiting room needs to look nice, but as you said before, the, that greeting of the patient and all that movement is just crucial to the success and the optimization that we're talking about today. It sure is. We have our staff responsible not only for you know, processing patients, but uh, checking and verifying their insurance card eligibility. 
We need to convey the practice policies about payment policies. We just have a simple frame sign at that front desk uh, receptionist area that explains that to save them a lot of questions. Staff should be able and comfortable with collecting co-pays if patients who may have an outstanding balance, either at check-in or at least at check-out. One of the things we didn't talk about just yet in this COVID-19 pandemic, and it has to come up because of the impact, and one of the things I wanted to mention before is that you were ahead of your time in terms of your entry with the glass, which not only is protective for patients, but is protective for staff. So I wanted to point that out. Do you have in your clinic in that checkout setting like QR readers or kind of touchless credit card devices too? Because I think that that is unique, particularly in these current times. We have regular credit card machines that patients can put their own card in and remove it. We have not gone to the touch list there yet, Brad. That may be down the road. Sure, yeah, we have in my clinical practice, uh, luckily so, and in this last four or five months, it's ended up being pretty useful, particularly if we've gotten back to practice and gotten a little bit busy. And everyone's very sophisticated now with their phones and the QR reader that they can flash, and we have a scanner. And so uh, we were able to really pick up uh, their co-pays and, and other expenses, making it about as touchless as possible. Mm-hmm. So we've looked at entry, waiting room, front desk. Let's move on and talk about the exam room experience. What an optimal exam room should look like and perhaps sharing in your amazing practice what the exam room looks like there. Sure. Before I pass on, I just also wanted to emphasize the benefits at the front office of an automated appointment reminder system so that uh, whether by email or text or phone or all of the above can make a big difference in our no-show rate. And we've found it very helpful since we've been using that. You know, one of the important parts of this conversation, Jim, is maybe even sharing not only the pearls of office optimization, but uh, I would share that in my practice, we secured about two years ago and I'm not specifically promoting anything, but it's an entity called Solution Reach. And what it's allowed us to do is have regular appointment reminders, create a two-way conversation from patient to office and back and forth so they can confirm their appointments. They can tell us very simplistically if they can't make it. And it also has a patient satisfaction survey attached to two for when they leave the office. So it's been quite helpful. So this automation has really helped a lot. So your point's well taken, and and I think that there are some tools out there, many of them, that we can use to optimize our practices. Yeah, and I think your point about patient satisfaction impressions is getting more and more important as people look for reviews to see just what they can find out even in advance of an appointment. And if we feel like we're doing a, a great job for patients, we shouldn't be shy about asking patients to give us that kind of feedback. And we also want to pick up some of the negative reports, too, and kind of find out and hone in on what just went wrong. And I'm very blessed that doesn't happen that often, but it happens. Absolutely. And as we uh, want to talk about exam rooms, reminds me that as we leave that front office, we're going down a hallway to those exam rooms. And this is another opportunity to do some soft marketing. You can put provider 
framed credentials along the wall, as well as art, artwork and things, or in that carpeted hallway. The uh, design of an exam room is what creates the efficiency for workflow and patient comfort. Of course, the number of rooms is going to vary according to the types of visits and procedures that people do. The size is going to vary, but generally should be between nine to 10 and a half feet wide and 12 or more feet long, depending on your procedures. Long enough to accommodate the dermatologist, a nurse, medical assistant, and a patient's guest uh, or parent or a family member, and increasingly in my practice, room for the occasional wheelchair. The layout should be identical for maximum efficiency with enough room to move the exam around the exam chair to conduct procedures on either side of the patient. The equipment we use, PAR exam chairs or tables in each of our 15 exam rooms because they're much more convenient for providers to position patients, more comfortable for the patient, and we think well worth the cost. We have mobile surgical carts with attached electrosurgical units in each room. We found it's easier to have hyphricators or other surgical units right on that cart instead of a cord hanging from the wall. Uh, of course, we've got fixed or movable PCs at the desk where the provider will use it in each room and our scribes will have iPads. And in our office, most of our providers use an iPad as well. I'm a little different with liking a big screen PC in, in my exam room. We've got medical grade cabinetry with storage of supplies at the point of use. We have flexible seating. I like a stool that I can sit at my desk and PC and face the patient on my left and have the procedure table right behind me if I swivel around to remove something there instead of removing it right in the patient's chair. We like abundant power outlets you want to design a floor outlet if you use power tables so that you don't have a power supply cord from the wall going to that table. We like smooth flooring as best. We want to avoid carpeting in the exam room. It's not only harder to sanitize, but it's harder to move around on if you're scooting around on a stool. We chose a hospital-grade vinyl with welded seams and uh, curved borders where it meets the wall. It's much easier to clean. The usual exam room should have a, a hygiene area with the countertop and sink and soap dispensers, hand sanitizers, paper towel dispensers. The lighting is critical for dermatologists, especially in our surgical rooms. We would suggest considering fluorescent units in the ceiling as well as ceiling mounted surgical lights with one or two heads. We have four two foot by four foot fluorescent fixtures and each have 434 watt bulbs plus those surgical lights. You do have to plan to allow for heating air conditioning vents. And in our office, such as a class A building, sprinkler heads in the top of exam rooms to choose your light space and let them work around you as works best for us. And we also have a halogen downlight right over the patient's chair, which is next to my desk. So I can flip a switch and I've got a hundred watts right on that patient in addition to the, the good room light. You know, Jim, in my clinical practice, my overhead lights seem similar to yours in design. But in my clinic, we established it about four years ago, and the structure is the same, but there are 4K LEDs. 
And so they offer really, really good amount of light. But yes. in speaking to you previously, I have overhead lights mostly in my procedure rooms, but you've given me a really nice idea about enhancing the light by having at least side lights or overhead lights in all the rooms because lighting is really critical in our specialty. To maintain privacy throughout the visit uh, exam rooms, we have insulated the walls and the ceiling as well as used textured acoustical tile in the ceiling and commercial solid wood doors, vinyl wall coverings, which are not only quieter, but last longer than paint. And we use soft instrumental background music in our exam rooms. The music choice can be controlled in individual rooms by the provider or also outside uh, to select based on patient preference. And we have wall art and educational posters in those exam rooms as well. I think one of the important things to also contribute here, Jim, are just for the audience, some resources that they can look to. It's not even really so much promotional, but as a really nice segue from your incredible presentation of what your rooms look like and what the optimum rooms look like. There's steelcase.com, midmark.com has some great information, not just their products, but about exam room setup. And then there's also Gensler, G N. SLER.com is helpful and perhaps those from our audience that would want to pick up some information that's a segue from what you've provided today, they can certainly look out to those sites and those are as well supported by the Academy. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what the optimum nurses and medical assistance area and station should look like. Well, we like it to be convenient and centrally located, so there's easy access to exam and procedure rooms. So we used a U-shaped layout of our procedure rooms around the central medical assistance station. So it's wide enough so they have room for traffic to move freely behind that nurse's station countertop even if there's one assistant on one side at a PC and somebody on the other side at a fax they can still get through there. We have an additional quiet private space right behind that, which is like a kind of a mini hallway that has additional phones and PCs so that you can confidentially call patients about their pathology reports and not be out in the central hallway. We need adequate phones and computers and printer copiers in that space for our nurses and assistants. We have under-counter refrigerators so they can store culture media and Botox and things right at hand, as well as a nurse call system so they can promptly respond to needs of providers in the rooms. Where is the nurse's station located in your practice? Because I've had four different clinics that I've developed over 25 years of practice, and I've struggled sometimes with exactly where to put that. Because sometimes I've had it right where patients were literally walking into the office that didn't work well. Now I have it somewhat central, but towards the back part of my office, and that isn't always perfect either. Where is yours? We have a rectangular space. It's kind of a little past midway, so that you come through the waiting room, you go down the hall, and you're at the one side of the U that if you walk forward about 20 feet, you're in the middle of the nurse's station. If you took a left turn, you'd walk up one leg of the U, if you walk past the nurse's station, you've got the other leg of the U, and we have exam rooms on the right side of that hall, and then on the sides of the U, and then in between, I have my pathology reading room. So everything stays pretty central. 
a little farther down the hall, we have a conference room. It's almost like the nurse's station is almost a quarterbacking unit because it seems like you can do a lot of distribution from all those different areas. And I think accessibility is the key term there. And that sounds like a very optimally placed nurse's station because I think that's really key. It is. It's worked well. And the more steps we can save for them, the more efficient their day is and just better all the way around. We haven't talked about a break room or staff lounge if we might talk a bit about that yeah that's really important and i think it's a big challenge the break room because it's so important for our staff but we really have to optimize that break room for the good of the staff members but on the other hand we don't want them to be vacuumed into that area either in our office we have it located with an outside entrance right into the break room and inside we have our uh, time clock so they can immediately punch in and out we have our bulletin board with all the required uh, federal labor law postings. And right outside that break room, we also have a patio and a picnic table and a market umbrella. So nice weather, they can have their lunch out there if they like. But in larger offices like ours, we have to stagger the lunchtime in 30 minute increments so that everyone can comfortably fit in the the break room without crowding. Of course, we need appliances in there, refrigerator, freezer, because a number of staff like to bring frozen lunches. Got two microwaves, so they're not waiting on each other to warm it up. Coffee maker, dishwasher. We have a separate beverage refrigerator that's useful to save space in the main refrigerator, and we provide free beverages for our staff. Need a lot of counter space in there. Also, multiple electrical outlets. Our staff like to have frequent potluck lunches and they'll bring in lunch and got a lot of crock pots going at the same time. Tables and chairs need to be easy to clean. Ours seat seven people each and we have two so we can seat 14 people inside and rotating as easy uh, accommodate our 30 staff members and providers. We have also staff lockers to secure their personal property. It's located just outside the break room and we've got 30 lockers stacked pretty high. We have some private office space and a multi-purpose conference room. Some offices will have private offices for each doctor. I'm not sure that's necessary. We had that originally, but we've repurposed some of those rooms. But we do have to have planned space available for administrative meetings with office managers and others or interviews for hiring new staff or confidential staff matters like performance evaluations, meetings with practice partners or accountants or pension administrators, insurance agents or vendors or to negotiate meetings with payers. Uh, our conference room also has a microwave and a refrigerator and a countertop because we'll have a carry-in dinner with our monthly provider meetings. You also will need, in most offices, some space for a business manager and for billing if you're doing in-house billing. But there are lots of opportunities for increased efficiency, so the time spent in kind of looking for those opportunities to identify potential improvements is very worthwhile. You know, Jim, in my clinic, the conference room, I have this glassed-in conference room which in this past four years has been one of our practice efficiencies. And while I agree with you, not everyone needs it, it's been so helpful for important meetings. It's essentially soundproof. 
It actually looks really good. And we've been able to accomplish so much in there. And I do clinical trials in my practice. And this has been a great place for us to privately engage our clinical trial study mm -hmm. subjects when we're first interviewing them and we're obtaining their informed consent. So some of your comments really made me think of that. I think it's really uh, very important. What about staffing, training efficiencies, kind of uh, how you obtain your staff members, where you decide on choosing them, hiring? What's the structure of those individuals in your clinical practice? Well, we've been for several years using a employee service company, a PEO, and they will advertise for particular, like a front office person or a medical assistant or a nurse. We look through those resumes, select the best ones, and in most cases, even though they might be working for one provider, we will interview with however many physicians or extenders might be available. There might be several of us screening each individual so that it's kind of a joint thumbs up or down. Do we want to invest time in training this particular person? When we do find one that looks like they're a good prospect, we invite them to come in to observe for a morning or an afternoon to spend several hours seeing exactly what that medical assistant or that receptionist does on the job in our office. So they've got a realistic expectation of what the position would be like. It's, I think is important, particularly if they're leaving another position. And if we ultimately hire them, we pay them for that time that they come in observing. Sure. You know, the Academy has a practice management resource center, which is uh, wonderful. One of their resources as we talk about staff and employees is the uh, dermatology employment manual, which is known as a guide to personnel policies and procedures. And our audience can certainly find that at the store.aad.org products 6366. Just shouting that out uh, to those listening today. Let's jump forward to technology efficiencies. Talk a little bit about your optics and your view of technology, technology efficiencies, and obviously one of the big subject matters and technologies in most clinical practices, and you'll tell us about yours, is electronic health records. Do you use electronic health records in your practice? We do, and we did start about five years ago. We were not the front runners with that. We wanted to see them kind of evolve and see who seemed to be the best. We happened to go with Modernizing Medicines, Emma, and uh, used just their EHR for probably two and a half years. They developed a practice management component, which we have since utilized. We've been very pleased with their EHR. The practice management system is improving. It does have a lot of analytic opportunities optional. And uh, they also have a, an arrangement with a company called Relationed for the reminder calls for appointments. There's a learning curve, of course, with the EHR. I'm told about 17% of academy members are still on paper charts. I expect that number will eventually shrink as they retire. I think that's been a step forward. Our records are better. They're more easily accessed, and I like them. You know, I'm with you on that, too, and I'll share. Again, I think neither one of us are in a promotional groove here, but we have EMA, Modernizing Medicine Electronic Medical Assistant. But it's interesting because we uh, originally had in my group, which is established over 40 years ago, 
and has grown from two original providers to now close to 60 in a single specialty group dermatology practice. But we've had NextGen as our practice management vehicle, and we were able to, with the help of modernizing medicine, interface mm -hmm. from Emma into the practice management. It was a little bit tricky doing that, but um, you know, there's a lot of versatility with a number of these EHR systems, but I agree, it clearly has upped our efficiency, certainly a lot more complete at the end of the day, although I still have a little bit of work left to do. And it's helped me, especially in terms of the efficiencies of the billing, which is more or less done for us. Yes, we do have in-house billing, but we put a lot of emphasis on finalizing those charts. You know, I finalized my charts today, except for some path pending, which I'll do, you know, as soon as I uh, read the slides. But, and we finalize or review all the charts of our extenders and like to turn those around within 48 hours as well. Comment, if you will, about just in general, whether in your practice or from your optics, the, the optimal patient visit efficiencies, you know, what the encounters look like from your optics and from working with your staff members, whether it be pre-visit, during the visit, post-visit, what does that look like for you? And what are your thoughts in terms of how we engage patients before they arrive, if you will, in the office, in the exam room, and until they depart and post-visit? We uh, ideally will have them pre-registered so that they come in directly and speedily back to the clinical area. Because of the COVID business, of course, we've had them waiting in their cars and call them on their cell number when they're ready and bring them on back. As they're processed through the front office, our medical assistants will escort them back to our exam room, confirm their date of birth, and they will have had all the chief complaint and history of present illness documented in the chart before the provider goes into the room. They know what I'm likely to do or other providers are likely to do. The instrumentation is ready. As we go in and talk to the patient, if we decide uh, uh, maybe this patient might have a skin cancer that we'll remove during that visit, I'll normally anesthetize that right away so that that can be getting numb while I'm conducting the rest examination and the staff can be getting their pathology bottles and those ready so we can uh, be as efficient as we can and not spend idle time you know, waiting for anesthetic to work, for example. If we have a patient who maybe is there for an excision, we may inject them and while they're getting numb, go to the next room and see the next patient and give staff time to prep that patient for the excision and, and not be just standing around waiting to do something. You're treating the next patient to the next room and, and then come back without patients feeling like they've been neglected at all. You know, part of the COVID-19 discussion, which again, one cannot avoid, I was going to ask you about educational resources while people are waiting, hopefully not very long in the exam room, like the Academy brochures, different educational materials. They have some wonderful educational materials on skin cancer, melanoma, ABCDs of melanoma, although very challenging right now, brochures are hopefully fresh and taken by the patients. So we have removed all of our periodicals and a lot of our educational information just because of concern about touching person to person. We have removed the magazines from our waiting room, but we've always kept brochures in each of our procedure rooms, most of the commonly used ones, so that if I'm talking to a patient and I want them to 
have a brochure on squamous cell cancer, I will take it out and hand it to them, or moles or ABCDs. So they're getting it direct from me uh, rather than a lot of other people handling it. And those patients have seen when I walk in the room, I immediately go over to the sink and wash my hands so they know they're getting fresh hands to touch them. It's a little odd that we don't shake hands with patients, but then I'm touching them all over their body. But in any case, they know we've done our duty with the hand washing. Yeah, there's no question that this has been incredibly challenging times, particularly as we talk about how to be most optimal in terms of the flow of our practices, which I think around the entire country, we have been slowed some for organizational reasons, for protection, first and foremost, for the patients, our staffs, and ourselves. Uh, Dr. Zala, Jim, it's been great talking with you. Do you have any final pointers or comments as it relates to what really makes the most optimal practice and design? I think there are a number of patient pleasers that we do. For example, each of our exam rooms, we have a little battery-operated hair trimmers so that every lesion that gets anesthetized, uh, when a staff knows that's going to remove, they're going to trim the hair on that so that when a patient's changing that Band-Aid every day for weeks, they're not pulled on the hair. A minor thing, patients appreciate the consideration. We'll give patients uh, micropore tape on a tongue blade as part of their post-op dressing that they can't find in the drugstore. They don't need a roll to order online. We just give them what they'll need, and they appreciate that. So there are opportunities to serve patients in those ways that I think are worthwhile. I think that that's a really wonderful place to end, really, because it makes me think of when you have wonderful opportunities like that for the patients to kind of receive these wonderful pearls from your practice, it segues very nicely to hopefully, I would think, very positive satisfaction surveys like we talked about before. The patients coming into the office from the very beginning, like in your office, through a portico, through the waiting room, to the front desk, into the exam room, and then back out, I think should be a very positive and engaging experience. It sounds to me like in your practice, if I were a patient, I'd have a highly positive experience. And I really think that when we're designing offices and putting them together, we want that flow to be smooth and to have as a final outcome, a positive experience. So this has been a really wonderful experience for me to be able to learn this from you and hopefully the same from our audience as well. I appreciate the opportunity, Brad. It's been fun. Thank you. And thanks to Academy staff. They are phenomenal. There's no question. Be well, Jim, and stay safe. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Lauren Council, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcast. We hope you enjoyed these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increased content for your listening pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about opportunities for efficiency and how to optimize your dermatology practice, visit www.aad.org forward slash office.